0: Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York invites you to be the informed patient with the podcast that features experts from Central New York's only academic medical center. I'm your host, Amber Smith. Upstate's campus was designated as a B Campus USA affiliate, but there's more to becoming part of this nationwide program than helping to conserve native pollinators. I'll talk about this with my guest, Paul Corsi, who is Upstate's sustainability manager. Welcome to the Informed Patient, Mr. Corsi. Thank you for having me. So Upstate committed to working to conserve bees by making the campus a better place for pollinators. What's involved in that?
1: Yeah, so there's three main strategies that we're uh, approaching this with. The first is um, we don't use any chemical pests or weed control on any of our properties. Um, so that's a really big uh, thing that can harm a lot of insects. Um, and then secondly, we're also looking at, um, finding pollinator friendly plants, um, a key is that especially in a lot of like manicured landscaped areas by buildings, there could sometimes be a lack of habitat for particularly a lot of native pollinators. So trying to find native plants, pollinator friendly plants that we can plant there, provide that habitat and provide that food. Um, and finally just doing a lot more education and outreach and volunteer opportunities for faculty, staff, students, the community. Um, the more I learn about pollinators, it's harder to overemphasize how important they are for our health, our well-being, the uh, stability of our ecosystem, the environment, et cetera.
0: So what is the purpose of this Bee Campus USA?
1: Yeah. Um, so I want to clarify, too. I know sometimes there's confusion. Uh, it's B-E-E. It's not the letter B, right? Some people ask me why we aren't an A campus. Uh, and I say, no, it's the insect, right? It's bee-focused, but it's really just about pollinators in general. But the idea is, is that there's a, a lot of habitat loss. There's a lot of stress on these populations in our food system. Uh, our environment is heavily dependent on pollinators. So it's important, particularly, uh, for upstate as a, uh, academic medical center, as a healthcare institution, that we protect these pollinators, something like one out of every three, um, you know, vegetables or, or, uh, produce that we eat relies on pollinators. That percentage is a lot higher when we're talking about wildlife. So if, if we lose pollinators or pollinator populations decline, we're, we're talking, you know, huge impact on agriculture, on our ecosystems. Um, and that has a huge impact on public health.
0: Do you know if our academic neighbors, um, Syracuse University or SUNY Environmental Science and Forestry, are they involved in anything like this as well?
1: Yeah, so they're also uh, both certified as uh, be Um in fact, they helped us a little bit with the application process, and um, I lean on some folks at ESF for the more uh, technical details when it comes to what pollinators and what plants we, we're looking to plant here. So,
0: now you mentioned pollinators. The only one I know of is our bees. What What are other pollinators?
1: Ah, uh, yeah, there's a ton. I mean, a lot of birds, um, hummingbirds can be pollinators. Bats are pollinators, sometimes small mammals are pollinators. And then just within insects in general, I know when we're just talking about native bees, I think in New York state, there's something like 450 different native bee species. So there's an incredible diversity of, of pollinators out there. Um, and I think that's really the key when we're talking about creating habitats that are pollinator friendly, it's, it's all about diversity. There's no one point or habitat or whatever that's, that's, um, can be attractive or provide habitat or food to, to every type of species. So it's about creating this diversity, this rich patchwork of different plants, animals, habitat spaces that can attract that diversity.
0: And you're having to do that in really an urban environment. So what are the things, can you name anything specifically that attracts pollinators or something specifically that scares them away?
1: Sure. I think the big thing is particularly for native bees is a lot of folks to realize that I think some 70% of native bee species are actually, uh, ground nesting. So they'll, they'll actually burrow and dig in ground. So having patches of dirt that you don't like till or mess around with all that much, um, hugely important. Another large segment of native bees, uh, really like to live in like dead wood. So if you think like a, a standing dead tree or even like a pile of branches on the ground or something, uh, that's something that can be really attractive. So um, a lot of it, you know, uh, we we talk about like this benign neglect. I like to think of it as just like a a more creative landscaping that's not about, or it's about acknowledging that sometimes these areas that we think of as like kind of messy or like a a dead branch on the ground or something like that, we think like an eyesore, but um, it can really be a really beautiful and important part of the environment if we kind of let it be and leave it as a place for these pollinators to live.
0: So do the bees just... Find us or do you have to go find a hive and try to move it onto the campus?
1: Oh no! I mean, they're here. Uh, they're everywhere. They're pretty ubiquitous. So it's just about supporting the population that's already here. And also, as we think about like development, and building new spaces and parking lots and all these other things that we're, we're kind of offsetting some of that development with uh, some places that they can continue to, to live on.
0: Can humans coexist with the bees without getting stoned, though?
1: Oh, sure. Um, yeah. A, a lot of native bee species are not aggressive and they, they don't sting. Um, and then, you know, pollinators generally, we're talking about like butterflies and beetles and birds and all these other things. So I can totally understand if you're, if you're anxious about being stung, maybe you can, you can think about like making your own backyard a bit more uh, pollinator friendly. Focus on birds or like butterfly friendly plants if you're a little nervous about bees. But for the most part, a lot of native bees are, are perfectly safe and are not interested in you at all
0: so with all of these bees here uh, will there be honey because bees naturally make honey right
1: um yeah so some bees uh so this is another really interesting point too that i think a lot of folks aren't aware of is that when we think of bees we think of the honeybee the honeybee is really kind of like a livestock essentially you know it's like an agricultural animal and a lot of native bees don't produce honey they, they don't live in eyes they have very different life patterns or, or ways of being. So, um, honeybees are are really great. I know I see you as some honeybee hides and maybe that's something we'll pursue in the future, but, um, the benefits of having a robust native bee population, particularly when we're talking about pollinating and ecosystem health are, are much greater when we're talking about these native bee species over honeybees.
0: Have you seen bats near campus?
1: I have not. Um, I live in the university neighborhood, though. I see you. I definitely can see them sometimes around, especially near like Barry Park or Fortin Park. Uh, they're around for sure.
0: This is Upstate's The Informed Patient Podcast. I'm your host, Amber Smith, and I'm talking with Upstate's sustainability manager, Paul Corsi. Now, sustainability is not just about saving bees. Can you talk about Upstate's broader sustainability goals?
1: Sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, sustainability is something that I think the healthcare industry in general has kind of gotten a pass on, particularly in recent years, as a result of COVID, right? We've had a lot on our plate, so maybe it's, it's understandable, but the bitch I always try to make to folks is that sustainability is healthcare, right? Um, when we look at the great public health crises of our time, climate change, when we look at pollution, um, you know, pollution, in water, uh, Air quality that we've had, even in in Syracuse and upstate New York, over this past summer, has been really bad. Right? These are all massive public health issues. So sustainability is really about addressing those issues and understanding that if we're going to provide the highest quality care to patients, if we're going to really protect public health, we need to provide care in a way that's not contributing to climate change or pollution. That we need to be more conscious of how much waste we're producing, uh, where our energy is coming from, how we're generating electricity, things like that. So. It's it's uh, an increasingly important consideration that the healthcare industry broadly is taking.
0: So it sounds like sustainability means that we take efforts to make sure that we're still able to provide healthcare in the future, that we're not doing things to our detriment now.
1: Sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, the, you know, the, the dictionary definition of sustainability that we sometimes forget when this word gets very politicized or thrown around a lot, it literally just means, you know, to sustain. So. Sustainability means we're just trying to ensure that the way we're doing things now does not uh, impede our ability to continue to do those things into the future.
0: What are some examples of sustainability efforts that individuals make at home in general?
1: I think in general, just being more aware of what you're purchasing. Uh, food is, a, is something that has a huge impact on the environment if you try and consume more locally sourced goods. Try to eat more seasonally. So eating vegetables that are in season now, or that can be sourced locally, is always good. I would say generally that I think a, a problem or maybe a blind spot that a lot of conversation about sustainability has had is that these these systems really require a much greater or much broader investment than you know that what's any particular individual is is capable of. Right? I I think. When we start talking about individual responsibility, we end up just like stressing a lot of people out because they're like, well, I can't carpool to work, or, you know, I, there's no bus route in my house. Like, how am I going to be sustainable? Right. And we really need to think about how do we expand things like public transportation or in healthcare? You know, if you're relying on an already very busy nurse on, you know, hour 10 of their shift to figure out which, you know, Crash receptacle. This particular recyclable thing goes into, or to make those decisions, you're you're kind of already setting folks up for failure. So, a lot of my work is trying to make sure that sustainability is essentially invisible when it comes down to the individual. That the default thing that you do, the default way you move through the world and do your job and perform, your, you know, your duties is already sustainable before you even have to make like a choice or a decision to this thing or that thing.
0: I want to talk to you about what else is in the works at Upstate tied to sustainability. I've heard of something called Lomo Spring. What is that?
1: Lomo Spring is a part of our B-Campus affiliation. And essentially, it's acknowledging that maintaining uh, a beautiful, like, you know, golf course lawn uh, is actually fairly energy intensive. In upstate New York, it's less of a consideration, but in other places, it's very water intensive. And so L- Lomo Mow May is just about sort of letting the lawn kind of grow and breathe a little bit. Um, incorporating some other plants, so it's not just what we call a monoculture grass, which is just, you know, a big blanket where there's just one plant growing, just grass, right? And so we've identified a few areas on campus this year, and we're open to expand it next year uh, of reducing carbon emissions by not mowing or maintaining those areas actually read recently that um, operating a gas leaf blower for an hour uh, has the carbon emissions of driving a car uh, somewhere over a thousand miles. So some of this lawn equipment is actually fairly impactful to the environment. Um, So taking a little time each spring to let uh, Mm -hmm. the lawn breed a little bit and get a little shaggy um, can have some fairly significant environmental effects. In addition to helping native pollinators, I know dandelions aren't like The best thing for pollinators for a handful of reasons, Um, but it always, uh, I don't know. I I would offend the data line because I I feel like it's very maligned. You know, as soon as the data lines start popping up, everyone tries to mow it out as quickly as possible, but they're very important early spring food source. So uh, Lomo May or Lomo Spring is just about allowing those kind of early food sources uh, to survive and just about kind of letting our our hair down a little bit when it comes to the
0: Can you talk about how you're involving students on campus in some of these efforts?
1: I love working with students. They they always have some great ideas, and you know they they move through our built environment in a way that's very different from the way I move through it. So they'll they'll let me know when it's it's a pain to recycle in a certain building, or if they're trying to, for example, we're working now on um, building a compost collection system in Geneva Tower, which is the the student residence hall. So they've been really supportive, and it's really helpful to bounce ideas off them because at the end of the day, they're the ones. You know, living there, who are going to have to compost. Um, so they're really passionate about that. There's a, a community garden on campus that's uh, mostly student run. So they're in there weeding and watering and harvesting um, from early spring to, to late fall. um uh, Yeah, the publicizing things around uh, best practices for recycling. And we've done some like cleanup days where we go around picking up litter and trash. We're planning some things in the future where we're going to build some nest boxes for pollinators, um, which I'm really excited about. So, yeah, there's a lot of opportunities as a student to be involved, for sure.
0: Well, I appreciate you making time for this interview, Mr. Corsi. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much for having me. This was great. Appreciate it.
0: My guest has been Paul Corsi, who is Upstate's Sustainability Manager. The Informed Patient is a podcast covering health, science, and medicine, brought to you by Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, and produced by Jim Howe. Find our archive of previous episodes at upstate.edu informed. This is your host, Amber Smith, thanking you for listening.